We the ones. We the ones they talking about. Broadway Sports Media. Choose your fighter. Justin and Justin Titans podcast show. Some of it was bad, but hopefully you'll you probably piece something together. Outstanding. There's an earthquake in the middle of the podcast. Unbelievable. We're begging for listeners. That's all we do. We all we got. Hey, Titans on three. One, two, three. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Music City Audible podcast presented by the Pharmacy Burger Parlor and Beer Garden in partnership with Broadway Sports Media and 440 Sports. I'm Justin Graver. Joining me, as always, is Justin Mello. And is this a funeral? A funeral for the Titans after they were murdered on Sunday by the Philadelphia Eagles, 35 to 10. I believe that was their worst loss since the Bills game. Correct me if I'm wrong. Um, but they just looked completely overmatched by a better team. And we're going to break it all down. Justin, how you doing? Yeah, I think you said it. They were overmatched. They were outperformed. Felt, you know, okay about it at the start, right? And But as soon as it went into halftime, what was it, like 21-10, I think, for the Eagles? Felt like the Titans missed an opportunity to get a field goal, keep it within a one-score game. I thought, oh, this might get out of control in the second half. It's not so bad right now, but this might get out of hand. And boy, did it get out of hand real quick in that third quarter. Yeah, I mean, to me, it was like the Titans got to come out of halftime and go get a touchdown. If they can do that, make it 21-17, they'll have a chance. Instead, they get into a quick third and eight because Derrick Henry still has no room to run and Tannehill is sacked. combination sack by Hassan Reddick and Josh Sweat, who each beat the two tackles that have been terrible for the Titans this season. And now it's fourth and 17 at your own 15-yard line. You punt it away. You're thinking, okay, it's not over. The Titans can get a stop here. Maybe they have a chance. And instead, they give up a 29-yard touchdown to A.J. Brown after giving up a big punt return that put the ball at midfield. And uh, when it was 28-10 there, I mean, 28-10, 12 minutes left in the third quarter. It was over 12 minutes left in the third quarter. It was over because the Titans offense could not get anything going. Really. Once Traylon Burks left the game on a head hunting cheap shot, that probably should have been an ejection, but I don't know. The rules are the rules. And it was a 15 yard penalty that the Titans didn't even get anything out of because they elected to take it on the kickoff instead of taking, I would have taken a one yard, two point conversion attempt. If I was Mike Vrabel there, Try to steal some points against the Eagles and give yourself a, an analytical advantage later in the game in case it comes down to a close game and give yourself a chance to win. Of course, it didn't come down to a close game, so it didn't really matter. But they chose to take a kickoff, um, take the penalty on the kickoff, and pin the Eagles deep, which they did. They pinned the Eagles deep at their own 15-yard line. And guess what? The Eagles won on an 85-yard touchdown drive, seven plays, and uh, that was A.J. Brown's 40-yard touchdown, scored one play after his 40-yard touchdown that was nullified by him stepping one inch out of bounds on the sideline. A.J. Brown had a day against this Titans team, talked about it afterwards, said, I, I needed to whoop y'all, but I still love y'all. Um, I don't know. I guess it was really painful to watch A.J. Brown do this to the Titans, especially when a bunch of Titans fans were like, oh, this trade isn't that bad. Uh, A.J.'s hurt all every day. He's he, hey, Traylon Burks is actually better. I have people in my mention saying Burks is better than A.J. Brown. It's like, Maybe in four years, Burks will be hopefully as good as A.J. Brown. But to just declare that Burks is better than A.J. Brown, are you mentally insane? I don't know what to think about some Titans fans. But at that point, might be able to trade him for a first-round pick, right? Instead of resigning him (laughs) and drafting another Traylon Burks, right? That's always the right way to do this. Yeah. I mean, the Titans, let's talk about some analytical schematic, whatever the heck, try to break some of this down, why this happened. Titans elected to try four-man pressures most of this game and then man up on the back end with 
a spy in the middle of the field, sort of running like a robber zone over the middle, keeping an eye on Jalen Hurts. And they got absolutely torched in man-to-man coverage. Christian Fulton gets mowed down by A.J. Brown on a play where he's called for illegal contact. Potentially could have been called for offensive pass interference. I think the right call there is a no call, but the refs flagged Christian Fulton for illegal contact. Christian Fulton did not come back in the game. From that point, you got Trey Avery trying to man up on A.J. Brown. Roger McCreary was was also out there doing his best. But you leave these guys in an island one-on-one with basically no safety help and then occasionally you put a safety over the top of A.J. Brown, and then you got Devonta Smith one-on-one. And it looked like the pass rushers were told, if you don't win right away, contain. Don't let Hurts out of the pocket. Keep Hurts in the pocket. And make Jalen Hurts beat you from the pocket. If that was the strategy, that was a bad one because Jalen Hurts torched them from the pocket, 380 passing yards, almost entirely from the pocket. I mean, I don't a couple of times he extended the play rolling out, but it was mostly just like sitting there with five seconds to find a receiver and then finding them in one-on-one matchups that the Titans completely got torched on. So from the defensive side of the ball, the game plan did not work at all. And they didn't really adjust it going forward. Maybe tried to bring pressure with a couple of blitzes in in the early second half, but that didn't work either. And by then it was out of control. It was like too late to make adjustments. The game's already over. Yeah. I mean, I think you said it right. Like, you're playing the game to contain him. And I get that. He's so dynamic as a, as a runner, right, of the football. I can kind of understand that. But if you're going to ask him to stand in the pocket for three seconds and find A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith against Trey Avery and Roger McCreary and really like his chances doing that too, right? It's like uh, I think you're almost better off just trying to get pressure on him, right, and trying to disrupt the timing yeah. and get after And, look, he's going to make a couple plays with his legs. That's what he does. But, uh, you know, if look, it's hard to ask any cornerback to cover a, a receiver for three, four seconds, right? Like, that's just a difficult period, right? But when, it's, when you're asking, you know, Trey Avery, Roger McCree to do it against A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith, it's like, it's not just really hard. It's essentially impossible. Yeah. And I mean, if the game plan was to eliminate Hurts as a runner, congratulations, Titans. Jalen Hurts, five carries, 12 yards. He did score that did rushing it. touchdown. They, they stopped the run game completely. Miles Sanders, 10 carries, 24 yards. Boston Scott, 6 carries, 16 yards. Kenneth Gainwell, 3 carries, 15 yards. The only guy who averaged over 2.7 yards per carry he, on his 3 carries averaged 5 yards a carry. One of those was a 13-yard run, so on his other 2 carries, he got 2 total yards. Overall, great job, Titans D. You shut down the run game. But guess what? Jalen Hurts put up 380 passing yards on 9.7 yards per attempt, threw for 3 touchdowns, only took 2 sacks, did some penalties go against the Titans that were questionable? Yes. There was a couple roughing the passer, unnecessary roughness calls on Jalen Hurts in the pocket that were bad calls, but they were early in the game, early enough that, you know, if your game plan is solid and if you're beating this Eagles team, that you can overcome a couple bad calls that go against you. So I'm not like, there's going to be Titans fans that want to blame the refs for everything. And AJ Brown shouldn't have had that touchdown because he ran through Christian Fulton and the Titans should have forced a punt because they sacked Jalen Hurts and they got a free first down. Maybe so. But how much did that really change the game? I mean, it was a 25-point game. You take off 14 points for two drives, it's still a, love, still a double-digit loss for the Titans. They just did not come to no, play. No, I think with, with the penalties thing, we probably overreacted in lifetime because I'll say this. Of the three of them, the Mario Edwards one was an awful call. It's one of the worst rough-in-the-passer calls you'll ever see, right? where we kind of just fell on top of them and they called rough-in-the-passer. The Bud Dupree one, I thought was definitely, you know, Probably rough in the passer, in all honesty, right? It looked like he kind of got him underneath the crown of the helmet. And I, I understood that. Like, you might have been frustrated in the moment, 
especially because the Mario Edwards one had just happened, I think, a few plays before. But the Bud Dupree one probably was the right call. And then the Christian Fulton one on AJ, I tend to agree with you where no call is probably the right call. There's kind of some fighting going on on both sides. Well, guess what? If it's no call, it's still a touchdown, right? Christian Fulton fell down and AJ Brown uh, caught the ball and scored a touchdown. So you want to blame the refs. I mean, one of those calls was terrible. Uh, the other two were probably just fine. And on the AJ Brown touchdown, I've seen people talk about next gen stats, average num- yard, like most separation at a catch point on a deep pass. That was the most wide open a receiver has been on a touchdown, on a deep touchdown this season. Well, no fing sh- the defensive back fell down, was completely knocked over. Somebody was, like, talking about how good the Eagles are, talking about, and on A.J. Brown's touchdown, he was the most open that anyone's been, as if he, like, burned the the cornerback so badly that he was just wide open. And, yeah, he he Christian Fulton's bit on the double move, and it was a good move by A.J. Brown, but it's not like he was just so wide open because he ran an amazing round. It was like he ran through the defensive back. But, anyway, I'm off on a tangent. On offense, the Titans cannot run the ball. Derrick Henry... Finished this game with 11 carries for 30 yards. Indy Henber. Ryan Tannehill was the Titans' leading rusher and actually the game's leading rusher with three (laughs) carries for 34 yards. And the reason the Titans can't run the ball, the Eagles watched this film of the last two Titans games before this one, seeing these these heavy defensive fronts, five-man fronts, six-man fronts. And on early downs in this game, it was basically every time that it was a a chance for a run, basically non third and long plays, the Eagles had five down linemen covering every gap and linebackers quickly hitting the holes, filling. They had every gap filled. And rather than try, I mean, it's not like the Titans can just adapt to become a power running team, especially with the personnel they have on the offensive line midseason. So I'm not sure really what the answer is or what to expect here. But continuing every first down, it feels like running directly into this front that is designed to stop your running game just feels like beating your head into a brick wall. I mean, Derrick Henry has no space. It's like one or two yards every single carry. I think his longest run in this game, what was it? It was uh, six yards longest run in this game. There's just no room to run. The way that the Eagles just pass the ball on seemingly every down, the way that the Bengals against the Titans two weeks ago seemingly just pass the ball on every down and run on like a second and short or a third and short when when the defense is expecting pass. This is the problem with the Titans offense right now. They run when the defense is expecting run, which forces them into a third and long situation to pass when the defense is expecting pass. They hardly ever pass when the defense is expecting run. And the few times they do that, they have success doing it. They need to completely open up this offense. I know the offensive line sucks and I know the receivers are subpar and they don't have playmakers on the outside. But they need to adapt this offense into a quick passing game that gets the ball out of Tannehill's hands so fast that the offensive line doesn't have time to screw it up, that puts the ball in the receiver's hands and gives them a chance to make a move. And if you know what, you throw a two-yard completion and a two-yard completion and you end up in third and long anyway, at least you tried something different as opposed to just completely banging your head against the wall. Maybe Chigaquanko breaks a tackle. Maybe Austin Hooper runs through contact and picks up extra yards. And then you get the defense to back up a little bit because they're like, oh, they're throwing the ball on early downs now. Then you give Derrick Henry a little bit of space. I don't think this is that complicated, but, you know, there's a reason I'm not an NFL coach or coordinator or whatever. They are smarter than me. I admit they are smarter than me. I don't think I'm smarter than them. But it's just so frustrating to watch Derrick Henry continue to run into a brick wall down after down after down. Yeah, I think um, 
I was going to interject at some point, but you kind of said it before I could. I think the staff probably <laughs> no 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 it's great I, I think the staff is a damned if you do damned if you don't right because you brought up the point about they can't pass protect they got no weapons on the boundary right it's just kind of who they are right it's the roster right it, Derrick Henry season's gone pretty strange hasn't it now this is certainly much worse but started the year with three straight games without rushing for a hundred yards right but he had eighty two against the Giants in week one but that was three point nine yards per carry week two with the Bills debacle you know. 25 yards on 13 carries, 1.9 yards per carry. Week three against Vegas, similar to week one, right? It was a little bit better than week one, but 85 yards, 20 carries, right? Not great, but it's 4.3 yards a carry. He got 85 yards is not god-awful. He got into the end zone. It's a touchdown. Then he rounds off five straight games of 100-plus yards, right? He had like seven or eight touchdowns in that span. It was unbelievable, right? He had the game against Houston with 219 yards. He had a, a buck 15 against the uh, the Chiefs. He had 114 against the Colts. These last four games, right? You get into it. 11 carries yesterday, or sorry, uh, yeah, yesterday on Sunday for 30 yards, right? 11 carries, 30 yards, 2.7 yards per carry. It was actually an improvement from the week before, right? Where it was 2.2 yards per carry against the Bengals, right? Week before against Green Bay, we, we ignored that one a little bit because, again, A, they won that game. They had some success in the passing game. but he had, And he had 87 rushing yards and a touchdown. But, again, it was through 28 carries. That's 3.1 yards a carry. Talked about how it started in Denver, right? 19 carries, 53 yards, 2.8 yards per carry. He's been held to 3.1 yards per carry or less in four straight games or 2.8 or less in three straight games. You know what's the craziest stat out of this, in my opinion, I just noticed? In these four games, Mm. right, that I just talked about, Philly, Cincinnati, Green Bay, Denver, his longest rush went for 10 yards. He's got one 10-yard run against the Broncos, by the way. Hasn't had an 11-yard-plus run in four straight games. Against the Packers, his longest run of the day went for nine yards. Against the Bengals, his longest run of the day went for nine yards. And against the Eagles, as you mentioned, his longest run of the day went for six yards. That is astounding. I mean, how many times? I'm, I'm not a math guy, but I'm going to try to add it up here in my head really quick. In those four games, or I believe it's about 75 carries. In the last four games, he has not had an 11-yard run. He's had one 10-yard run. That is absolute insanity. And we've talked about it a lot. It's look, Mike Herndon wrote a great article on it for Paul Kuharski. I wrote a very similar article on it for Broadway Sports. I, I don't know who came out first. It obviously doesn't matter because neither of us are the type, you know, types to copy each other. But I probably got the idea from the same place he did, where Balding, uh, Brian Baldinger had tweeted out the, the highlight package of the Bengals stopping them. These defenses are getting to these aggressive. You talked about the Eagles having five down linemen. They're getting to these aggressive run looks on first and second down. They're running these bare fronts that are, again, I I mentioned in the article, that are specifically known to give zone rushing plays fits. Right? Yeah, they can sometimes help with other looks, but they are best utilized for zone rushing looks, the bare fronts are. They're getting a lot of bare fronts lately, right? And it's working to perfection. They haven't found a way to beat it. They haven't found a way to get teams out of these looks. And I agree that, you know, passing the game more, uh, the being more successful in the passing game is probably the way to do it, right? Being more aggressive on first and second down is the way to do it. But I'm not shocked that they feel like they don't have the personnel to do it. They don't have the offensive line. They don't have the receivers. And yes, Traylon Brooks has been really good lately. He's emerged, but he also just got back into the mix, right? What did he play? Three, four games and he yeah. potentially hurt again with a concussion. Robert Woods is extremely disappointing. Can't separate from man coverage. He is done. It's Julio Jones 2.0. Maybe not as extreme, yep. but he's done. He's got nothing left in the tank, right? 
Nick Westbrook Akine is Nick Westbrook Akine. He just showed up like right, a week ago, essentially, right? We talked about how in the first six, seven, eight games, whatever, he had like seven catches, right? They're, they're not featuring him at all. It's a, it's a, it's a, they're devoid of talent issue, right? That's, that's yeah. what it comes down to. I mean, your receivers that when, uh, when Burks goes out, you're down to um, Robert Woods, Nick Westbrook Akina, and CJ Board. Those are your healthy receivers in this game. I mean, what are we, what are we doing here? They didn't even elevate one from the practice squad, which I thought they right. would. So this leads us perfectly into our beef of the week presented by the pharmacy burger parlor and beer garden, the best beef burgers. They have vegan burgers. They have everything that the family could want. Best worsts, local brews, head over to the pharmacy burger parlor and beer garden in East Nashville. But they present our beef of the week. And my beef of the week is with John Robinson this week. And you know what? I don't want this to come off the wrong way. I don't think John Robinson should be fired. I don't think John Robinson has done a terrible job. Overall, he's been a great GM, only winning seasons since he took over as a general manager of the Titans, built a terrible team into a playoff, a perennial playoff contender, division winner. The Titans are an above average team. John Robinson has done largely a good job. But some of the misses heading into this season, and not just misses, but overlooked deficiencies, have really come back to hurt this team. And I think it starts with trading A.J. Brown. I think there's a chance that the Titans incorrectly assessed the value that A.J. Brown brought to this offense. He's worth the contract. He's worth the diva mentality, whatever, if you don't like his personality. He has said multiple times since this game happened, since the trade happened, he wanted to be in Nashville. He thought he would spend his career as a Titan. So all, don't give me the, he didn't want to be here. He wanted to play with his buddy, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, that was a negotiating tactic. And the Titans called his bluff and said, fine, we'll ship you out of here. Well, without him, I mean, I was saying it, we were saying it on this podcast all last year, right? A.J. Brown was the Titans' most valuable player. The stats proved it. The win-loss record with and without him proved it. The, it, the passing yards per game with and without him. I mean, he was far and away the engine of the offense, even when Derrick Henry was playing well, even when and when Derrick Henry was out and you had Deontay Foreman and Dontre Hillier playing well with or without A.J. Brown, the difference was so clear. And they traded him away thinking they could replace him with a rookie who has shown flashes of being a good contributor to the offense and even potentially a wide receiver one at some point in his career. But expecting that guy to be able to do what A.J. Brown did for you as a rookie is just crazy. And then on top of that, the left tackle, the, the tackle issues. Yeah. Taylor Lewan got hurt, but Taylor lewan has been in and out of the lineup for three years. Like they should know they should have a better backup plan in place. Trading a 2024 fifth rounder for Dennis Daly and a 2024 seventh rounder. I mean, Dennis Daly is the worst tackle in the league. He has allowed more sacks than any tackle in the entire NFL this year. It's just such a weird, I don't know. Like what, what do we like? It's just the offensive line issues and the playmaker issues are on John Robinson. And we just talked about why the Titans can't adapt against these looks because they're built around Derrick Henry and they have nothing else that they can pivot to as an offense. It falls back on the roster construction. And that's why my beef of the week is with John Robinson. Yeah, I'm just going to build on what you said there, essentially. I think it's a really good beef of the week, and it's awfully fitting, right? And timing couldn't be any better. And I'm not trying to make poke fun at anyone. I, I really mean this. It just boggles my mind how he could go out at the Combine, I think it was, and and cry about how last year ended. And uh, and I've got nothing against crying. Done a lot in my days, uh, certainly, right? Everyone has, and I think you could admit that. But 
I don't know how you can go out there and show how much it meant to you and 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 and, and cry about the way the year ended, and then it, it turn around and trade AJ Brown and build this offensive line that you built. Like, a, you clearly felt you missed an opportunity to win last year, right? And that's why you took that loss as hard as you did, um, and. and thinking okay this means so much you're going to come back and try to replicate that success you had last year and just whiff on all the personnel moves right like the Taylor one injury happens week two tough to prepare for somewhat but you're right the depth of tackle was a concern right with with uh with, with trading for Dennis a fifth rounder for Dennis Daly and uh if I did my own beef for the week here it would be stubbornness I don't know what they got to see to take him out of the lineup I really don't I, I it's, it's mind-boggling and I've tried to be you know, uh, logical in the sense where, look, they don't think Dylan Radins is a tackle. They don't think Dylan Radins is a tackle, right? There's nothing we can do about that. They're the ones that evaluate him every day in practice. And he didn't look great at tackle during the preseason, right? In all honesty. And I, there was, uh, you remember the, the joint practices with the Bucks. There were reports of how he was getting beat like a drum when he was still in the mix to start at tackle. Um, but I just don't know what else you need to see here. Like uh, to try something else. Cause this is, horrid right it's it's he was so terrible against the eagles and he's been terrible the majority of the season and look raven clark came in at the end and he didn't really look much better in all honesty right and, but uh, you, you, what are you losing by not trying something else right uh, can it get worse right. I, I know sometimes it sounds like an overreaction to say like no to say no it can't but i'm not convinced it can get worse it could be as bad Right. I'm not. I'm right. Not, yeah. I'm not um, naive enough to think it can't be as bad. I don't think Dennis Daly is the worst player in the NFL. I'm sure there are lots of players that aren't very good in the NFL. So it can be as bad, but uh, I don't know what you're losing by trying. Right. Cause it's, it's, it's either the same or it gets better. Right. That's where we right. are. Exactly. With this thing. So for me, it would be Dylan Radins, uh there. I sound like a broken record. I've probably said it before. Um, if it's the Raven Clark, it wouldn't shock me if it's the same, but I honestly think Titans fans will at least find satisfaction that they tried someone else instead of just going up there every Monday and saying execution and we got to play better. We got to block better. We got to coach better. He's not capable of playing better, right? This is what it is. Like, <laughs> it's just, this is what it is. He's not capable of executing better. You're not going to go there and teach him how to be Joe Thomas at left tackle. Right, like this is right. what he's he's showing you week in week out. Essentially, the, this is what it is. This is what the outputs are, right? And the, and that's what the tape indicated on him before this season. So uh, yeah. I, I don't know what they need to see. I mean, Jamarco Jones, that's another one. I don't know if he's healthy or what happened there. Not sure he's a real person at this point with the way that they, they've kind of not even talked <laughs> about him, right? For like eight weeks now, nine weeks. I would put Jamarco Jones there if he was healthy and available. I would put Dylan Radins there. I guess I'd put LaRaven Clark there. All this to say I would essentially put anybody right now except Dennis Daly. You raise an interesting point because we've seen some teams around the league, like the Colts were doing this early in the year, and we've and other teams have done this too, where they just like try everything. They're like, oh, that combination didn't work. Let's try a new combination. Let's move this guy from left to the right and put this guy at guard and tackle and center and whatever the heck. The Titans seem to be way more – they value the consistency of the guys on the line playing together. But at what point does – knowing who you're playing next to just like pale in comparison to playing next to a worse player. It's like, they don't want to try it because they don't want to like mess up the chemistry or something. These guys have no chemistry. They suck. They're bad. They can't <laughs> run block and they can't pass block. Try anything. I don't know. That's where I'm at. It's like, 
I'm in try anything mode, especially because you almost have like a free pass over these last four or five weeks. You've put yourself in a good enough position as we spin this into a slightly more positive outlook to close up this episode. You've put yourself in position where you're going to make the playoffs. You're going to be either the three or four seed, most likely the four seed based on how things are trending. You're going to win the division. The Colts are terrible. The Texans are playing for the first pick and the Jaguars are trying to make strides, but they haven't made them yet. So you're going to win this division. You have four or five weeks now to play with things, to just see what could potentially be better as you position yourself for what is hopefully a playoff run. And that's where I'm going to spin this to is that it doesn't matter how these last four or five weeks go. It really doesn't matter if the Titans lose every game, then they probably won't make the playoffs, but they're going to win two or three of these last five games. Maybe they win four of these last five games. Heck, maybe they go on a five-game winning streak. You, you never know what could happen. They have mostly winnable games except for the Cowboys, honestly. So maybe they can try some things during this time. Maybe they can try opening up the offense. Maybe they can try some new offensive line combinations. And at the end of the day, you get in the playoffs, anything can happen. The Bengals, 10-7 and 7 last year. Nobody thought they were going to do anything, right? They go all the way to the Super Bowl. They had a terrible offensive line. Granted, they had an elite playmakers, at three, three elite playmakers at wide receiver. But you know what? The Titans could get Traylon Burks healthy. They could get Derrick Henry going finally. They could get Chiga Quanco more involved in the offense. And by the time they get to the playoffs, they have three elite playmakers. You know, like it could be a thing that happens for this Titans team this year. Season's not over. It's a long year. Remember how we felt after week two? Ugh, the Titans are going to get a top five pick. Remember how we felt after the Packers game? Ah, oh, the Titans are going to get the one seed. And now we're sitting here three weeks later and it's like, ugh, the Titans are terrible. They can't do anything. They suck. It's a long year. A lot can change. A lot can happen still. But I do think the Titans, I don't think they will, but I think they should use these last four or five weeks to just try shit and see what sticks. I, I think one of the most damning things, and I, I wish it was different because I'd be curious to see if they would do something and I anticipate they would. What I'm trying to say here is they don't have any cap space, right? And if they did, I'd be curious to see if they went out and signed a tackle. And when I say they don't have any cap space, let me be clear. And uh, if Zach, our buddy at F-Words Pod, is listening, he could probably correct me. But according to the numbers, and this is I don't know if I've ever seen this in the middle of the season, when they restructured Robert Woods' contract about a week ago, right, it was a bit of an interesting, strange restructure after the trade deadline. You're not making room for a deal. I started looking into the numbers. I wrote a mini article on it. They apparently had like $90,000 in cap space before restructuring Robert Woods' deal. Like they had nothing. They couldn't do anything. They couldn't even make a typical turn the roster over move, I imagine. Like $90,000 in cap space. It's, it's unheard. Like, you know, teams enter the offseason in the red. You've seen that, and they got to cut guys. But I don't know that I've seen $90,000 in the middle of the season, right? Because you've got to be in compliance yeah. with the salary cap at that point. Of course, you, by week one, you can't be in the – by the start of the new league year, actually. You can't be in the red. 90000 It's unheard of, right? By restructuring Woods' deal <laughs> – I think they got up to around 2.5, maybe. The issue is it's not enough to go out and sign Eric Fisher, right? It's not enough to – I don't know what happened to Eric Flowers. There's a larger issue at play here. Maybe he wants to retire. Maybe he doesn't want to play anymore. I don't know. But it's it wouldn't be enough probably to go out and get Eric Flowers. Can you sign a, a veteran journeyman and maybe get him at a million dollars right now? I mean, maybe. If it's a younger guy that's, again, a vet journeyman that – just wants to play and get his foot back. Maybe you can get him, right? But the point is you don't have enough to go out and sign what could be a difference maker, unless you get lucky, right, with one of these low-cost tackles. But 
I wish they had more cap space. Kind of goes back to our beef of the week about roster construction. Right? How can you have no money in the middle of the year and have absolutely no talent at receiver and on the majority of your <laughs> offensive line, right? So uh, it's what you're paying guys like Ryan Tannehill, Derrick Henry, Bud Dupree, Harold Landry. That's where all their money is, in case you're wondering. like Taylor Lewan. Taylor Lewan, like All their money is in those five guys. And Robert Woods is making a good chunk of money. Zach Cunningham's making a good chunk of money as well. Kevin Byard, of course. Uh, but I think the first five you mentioned, I, I look at because Bud Dupree just got it right, just signed last year. Harold Landry signed earlier this offseason. Tannehill, Henry, still early on in their contracts, um, being when they signed, I mean, that's where all their money is, right? And they kicked the can down the road, especially on Tannehill a little bit, right? Where they pushed the majority of the money back. So that's where all their money is. That's why you have $90,000 in cast base at one point. And you've got no talent, essentially, at, at receiver and almost none on the offensive line. So I wish they had more cap space because I'd be very curious to see if they would have at least tried to do something different at left tackle or if they just would have continued to ram their head into the wall with Dennis Day. Yeah. You know, it's really unfortunate that you have so much money tied up in guys that are not contributing at all. Like you know, the guys you just mentioned, Luan out for the year, Landry out for the year, Cunningham on IR. Just so much money that you get nothing out of. It's kind of weird how the NFL works. Like the, you don't get a chance to like go use that money somewhere else. If guys get injured and are done for the year, it's just like goodbye money. Just like, yeah. it's like you have less cap space than other teams. Cause you still have to fill 53 man roster. And those guys don't count on your 53 man roster anymore. And you have no cap space to fill it. Kind of sucks. It's just, you know, you look at the teams that are, that are some of the best teams in the league the chiefs, the Bengals, they've been some of the healthiest teams in the league. And maybe the Titans just need better injury luck and we won't be having these conversations, but they have a chance to get some of the key guys back healthy. Obviously they won't be getting Landry or Lawan back, get Danico Autry back healthy, get Traylon Burks back healthy. And maybe as you get into the playoffs, you can find your stride and, and start to peak at the right time because you know, November football, December football, it's important, but it's not as important as January football. And the Titans will be playing January football because they position themselves well enough and they're lucky enough that they get to play in the AFC South. All right. Anything else you want to say about this game before we move on and get out of here? No, I, I don't really want to start this conversation now, but uh, at some point, I think they got to think about shutting down Jeffrey Simmons for a week or two. Right, because he's just so clearly playing through pain, and that's tough to do. And Mike Vrabel reminds me of a guy where it's like, and he's never going to put his players in danger. Don't get me wrong, but it's the attitude where, like, if they can play, we need them to play. And I get that, right? Like, if, if they can play, we need them, and they certainly need Jeffrey Simmons, right? But I think you got to start taking into the effective uh, effectiveness into account here, right? Again, four pressures in his last three games, not himself, not even close to one hundred percent. You talk about January football being important. Jeffrey Simmons is really important in January. I think as difficult as this stretch is, probably tough to convince yourself to sit him now in the middle of a two-game losing streak and as bad as you've been, uh, as bad as you were defensively, certainly against the Eagles with no pass rush. Probably a tough sell to yourself to sit Jeffrey Simmons, but I think it's something they probably have to consider. Yeah, if they can wrap up the division in the next two or three weeks, maybe give him a week or two off to close the season so that he is fresh for that playoff run. All right, that will do it here on the Music City Audible. Thanks to everyone for listening. Thank you to the Pharmacy Burger Parlor and Beer Garden. Make sure you head over to the Pharmacy. Tell them the Music City Audible sent you. And check out broadwaysportsmedia.com where you can become a Broadway insider today. Yeah, become a Broadway insider today. It's $6.99 a month. You can use the code INSIDER to get your first month for just $0.99. Cents. 
or use the code annual uh, for a total of $49.99 for your first year. Lots of great uh, benefits to becoming a Broadway insider. We've got the Mike Herndon Show uh, behind the paywall. That's a weekly video show going out every week with your favorite Mike Miracles, Mike Herndon. That's obviously a big perk to becoming a Broadway insider. You get early access to some of the podcasts, uh, a lot of written content behind that paywall. Whether that written content comes from me, it comes from Zach at uh, F Words Pod. Uh, it's coming from Easton. There's a lot of content coming your way if you're a Broadway insider. Become an insider today. You won't regret it. And also all the other podcasts and content that Broadway Sports Media has to offer. Follow Justin on Twitter at Justin M underscore NFL. Follow me at Titans Film Room. We'll be back later this week with a guest to preview Titans versus Jaguars back at Nissan Stadium. Until then, you all stay safe out there and tighten up. A Broadway Sports Media Production.